I'm reading from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 4 through 10. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouraging, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Friends, my name is Katie. I'm one of the other pastors here at Nova, and we're continuing in a series on the vision and the identity and the mission of Nova. This is week uh, two of three, and so glad you're here tonight joining us. I'm going to pray for us. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we're so glad and we're so grateful that you're a God who speaks, that you're a God who wants uh, to speak to us. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would help us to hear and to receive um, to be open to what you're saying and what you're doing in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I am betting that you know what you were doing uh, March 2020, that you can recall uh, what you were up to uh, in the final days before the world shut down. Um, I was at a small conference in Broomfield. That felt like a good idea to go to a conference uh, that week. And the main thing I remember is that there was a lot of hand sanitizer. Like, we weren't really sure what was happening. We weren't really sure what was going on. Of course, we're paying attention to the news. Uh, But there was a lot of hand sanitizer. And I kept putting a lot of hand sanitizer on my hands. And I do remember we also were a little um, uncertain and afraid of what was coming next. And of course, over the course of that week, a national emergency was declared in our country, countries around the world, uh, professional sports leagues shut down, church buildings, schools closed their doors, as stay-at-home orders were issued, and we all learned new vernacular. We learned about flattening the curve and social distancing, and we used the word pivot uh, way too much starting March 2020, and it was, of course, necessary, very, very hard and very much the right thing to do, but it opened up for all of us all over again this longing for connection. It kind of put right back in our face uh, that we were made for community, that we desire human interaction, that we desire people. Zoom, of course, did her best to fill in the gaps, FaceTime as well, but we found ourselves missing community, public gatherings, parties, coffee dates with friends, eating together at restaurants, celebrating holidays and milestones together. I had a friend who said to me, you know, I was lonely before the pandemic, but now it was just socially acceptable to say it out loud. (laughs) Of course, we all long for community. The desire for community, it's almost sort of a cliche. Um, The other day, Chuck saw an ad for a bank, and the bank in their ad said, join the community, like the bank's trying to get in on this desire for community. And of course, we do. We want it. I'm betting most of you are here tonight, at least in part, because you want community. You want 
friends. Our passage that Charlie just read, it's written to people who are trying really hard to figure out this community thing. Because for most of us, we want it, we desire it, but we're not quite sure how to do it. We do a little bit of like a push-pull thing. Like, I want you to know me, I want you to see me, but I don't want you to know me that much. <laughs> I don't want you to see me, you know, that much. We're not quite sure how to do it. It's like becoming an adult and trying to make friends is really hard. Paul, a leader in the early church, is writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he's writing to people who want it, who desire it, and they're struggling a bit to figure it out, to figure out how to walk and live in a community, a community of faith. So let's talk context for a minute about our passage. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in the city of Rome. And here's the backstory. The church in Rome had been made up of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, or Gentiles, making up one church. Now, under Emperor Claudius, all Jews were banished from the city of Rome. A few years later, Claudius dies. They're allowed to come back. They're allowed to come back to the city. And that included those who were ethnically Jewish, but now Christian followers of Jesus. So they come back to Rome, and they now find the church is very Gentile-like very un-Jewish-like. And they're looking around, and they don't really like what the Gentiles have done with the place. They don't like the changes. And there's all these questions swirling around the community, all these questions around Jewish practices, like what stays and what goes, Sabbath and circumcision and, and food rules and customs, what stays and what goes. And these two groups, the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, they're really struggling to be in the same room. The Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians are really struggling to see eye to eye on things. And so it's leading to all these conflicts. It's leading to all these divisions. Really hard to imagine, I know, conflicts and divisions in the church. So what does Paul say to them? Pulls out his pen. What does he say? How does Paul address the struggle? Well, here again, verse 5. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. So we're going to break this down for a few minutes. In the church, in the local body of Christ, whether it's in the city of Rome or the city of Denver, two things are true. Many, but one. Many parts, one body. Many individuals, one family. Now at this point, this might sound painfully obvious, but stick with me for a minute. So two things are true of any church, any local body, whether it's in the city of Rome or the city of Denver. I'm going to use the whiteboard, and y'all are going to be able to see it. But otherwise, just trust me. I'm writing on the whiteboard. <laughs> so two, two things are true. Many. I'm going to write real big. That's an I. Good penmanship, huh? Yeah. I. Many individuals. Look around. Many individuals in the room, in a church. Unique. Unique stories. Each of us has our, our story, our past. Each of us has passions, things that uh, get us really riled up, that brings tears to our eyes, that gets us angry. Each of us has unique gifts. Each of us has different you know, temperaments and, and personality. All these things make up each of our stories. I always remember how poor uh, my spelling is once I go to write and spell in front of people. So don't judge. Not all the same, but all needed. Different gifts for the church and for the world. Not all the same, but all needed. And when we're growing up in our families, we're growing up in our families, part of growing up is discovering who we are. 
Like, who are we as a defined self apart from those people? Parents, grandparents, siblings. Who are we? What are we about? So I have two sisters. One of my sisters, Holly, she's here tonight. She's in town visiting. Both my sisters have red hair. I don't. Both my sisters are dancers. Holly still is a dancer. I'm what you call not a dancer. <laughs> I remember I was trying to get in on it because apparently it's what our family does. When I was five, I took gymnastics at their dance studio. And like at five, I already was like five foot ten. I mean, give or take. Like, and at the end of the year, I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. And all the other kindergartners were like, yeah, I don't think so. Like, this is not, this is not for me. Not just I don't have red hair, not just I'm not a dancer, but who am I? What am I about? What's my wiring? Who, who am I? And the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, is saying, concerning the body of Christ, there's many. There's many. And you have all these different gifts. Some of you are prophets proclaiming the word of God. Do it faithfully. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are administrators. Some of you are leaders. Some of you are encouragers. Some of you are really good at giving. Do it faithfully. He's saying to them and to us, we need you to faithfully and truthfully be who you are who God has called you to be. This might be the original, you do you. We need you to do you. In other words, if we're going to be the body of Christ that God is calling us to be, that Jesus is calling us to be, we need you to be you. I tried to do a a puzzle the other day, and I didn't get very far uh, because children. Uh, But that's not the worst thing that can happen to you when you're doing a puzzle. A three-year-old interrupting is not the worst thing that can happen to you when you're doing a puzzle. The worst thing that can happen to you when you're doing a puzzle is that you get to the very end, and there's some pieces missing, right? It's incomplete. Paul is saying, we're not complete without all the parts. We're incomplete without all of y'all in the body of Christ. We need the perspective you bring. We need the passions you bring. We need your story in this church. We need the care that you offer when one of us is sick. We need the pushback you give in that meeting or that small group that causes us all to pause. We need the questions you raise. We need the prayers you pray. We need you loving and serving, being you. You do you if we're going to be the body of Christ Jesus is calling us to be. A quote attributed to the 14th century Dominican sister and mystic Catherine of Siena goes like this. Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Trust me, she said it. It's not there. (laughs) Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. But not just a bunch of individuals. It's not just a bunch of eyes in the room. We are a we. Lots of individuals, but we actually belong together. Many parts, one body, one family, together. Now, this isn't uniformity. It's unity. It's not all we need to be exactly the same, like the ideal is to be a bunch of introverts, or the ideal is to be a bunch of extroverts. It's not uniformity. It's unity. This also means, though, that we... It also means that my rights as an individual don't trump yours. And my preferences as an individual don't trump yours. And we're actually learning what it means to listen to each other and to honor each other and to submit to one another. I don't just get my way. The Apostle Paul, a little earlier in Romans, he says, 
it would be really good if you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. It's a good line. It would be really good if you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. For example, the gifts you have, it's not to make a name for yourself. It's all in the name of love. It's not to create a platform for yourself. It's all in the name of love. So yeah, you do you, but it's always for the sake of us. You do you, but it's for the sake of us. In other words, yes, we need you in order to be the community Jesus is calling us to be, but the flip is true as well, that we need each other if we're going to be the people Jesus is calling us to be. If St. Kathy of Siena is reminding us, be who God made you to be and you'll set the world on fire, I think Paul is adding, you can't be who God means you to be in isolation. You can't be who God means you to be by yourself. You can't grow and develop into who God has made you to be apart from the we of the body of Christ. That we're unique, but we're deeply linked. Because the goodness of your story is going to be drawn out by the company of others. And the healing, the redemptive work that God is doing in your life is going to be facilitated by those around you. And the use of your gifts is going to be furthered by the company receiving the grace of your life, the grace of your offering. Unique, bunch of eyes, but deeply linked. We, the body of Christ. It's amazing to me how vulnerable we are when we come into the world. Uh, Chuck and I just had a, a, a baby three months ago. I said Chuck and I. I just had a baby three months ago. Heavy load. Uh, and I forget, it's our third kid, I forget how vulnerable we are when we come into the world. Like baby Jack couldn't hold his head up. He's three months old. He's not that great at it right now. He's born, he can't see, you know, but six or 12 inches in front of his face. I've been keeping a list of everything he can't do. Can't feed himself, can't tie his shoes, he doesn't even wear shoes, can't drive. So dependent on us, on, on our care and our love and our support. And as we get older, sometimes we start to believe that we've grown out of this dependency thing. As we get older, sometimes we start to believe that we've grown out of this, I can't survive in this world without others thing. But we can't grow out of it. It's part of what it means to be human. And here's the thing. It's absolutely part of what it means to be the church. Committing to each other, absolutely, it's hard work. Admitting we need each other, absolutely, it's humbling. Looking to other people, absolutely, it's, it's vulnerable. Learning to trust each other, you don't, you don't just snap your fingers and get there. It takes time. Nova launched, this church launched uh, publicly in March 2021, and we've come to the point in the life of our church community where we're beginning a process of inviting people to, uh, to become covenant partners of NOVA. Older language that maybe you've heard, maybe you've used, is, is being a member of a, of a church. And that's language that comes from Romans 12, our passage tonight, being a member of the body of Christ, being the elbow or the arm or the foot. But membership, also that language, also has connotations of like, I have a membership card in my wallet to Costco. Or, or you might have a membership to a gym. And it kind of can have this transactional association or connotation. And we aren't, we aren't talking about just you know, carrying a Nova card in your pocket that you can pull out 
every once in a while. I, oh, I go to Nova. Now, what would it look like to commit to each other? To say, yeah, I'm committing to these people and this mission and this time and this place. What would it look like to stack hands together and say, I'm in? That language of, of covenant it's a very meaningful word in scripture. You flip through scripture and you find it a lot. Is God is turning to his people and inviting them into the community of his people, inviting them into his mission. This idea of partnership is what the language of covenant gets at. To be invited into relationship, into partnership with God. God's commitment to us, no matter what, and the invitation to join God. And we're convinced that there's something good and beautiful and even sacred about stacking hands together, about committing to each other and to a larger mission, because it's in the space of commitment where relationships can actually flourish, where trust can be built, where we can learn together and suffer together and disagree together and learn to rely on each other that we can start to figure out what is Paul talking about when he's calling us to love sincerely and to honor each other, to celebrate our differences. And hopefully, as we continue to grow as a church, to continue to grow more and more diverse. A bunch of eyes, One we. And that's actually the beauty and the scandal of the church when unlike people become family together. When people that you wouldn't expect to to hang out aren't just hanging out together, but are actually committed to each other and serving one another and serving the poor together and carrying one another's burdens, that's actually the beauty and honestly the scandal of the church. It would be like in high school if you saw like the quarterback of the football team and the head of the chess team and that one guy who always wears that Star Trek t-shirt every day and the lead in the school play and the principal of the school all sitting at the lunch table together, laughing and talking, you would walk by and you would wonder, what's the story there? I was trying to think of another example, because that was a good example, I know. I was trying to think of another example of that. It'd be like if you're walking through the airport and you see at a restaurant over there uh, a Southwest flight attendant and a TSA agent and, and two elderly women and John Legend all just sitting at the table together, like eating nachos and playing Uno. You would walk by and you would say, there's gotta be a story there how all those people came together. It's really countercultural for people to commit to each other, period. And it's really countercultural for people who aren't like each other in every way and agree with each other on every single thing to even be in the same room together, let alone start calling each other family. And Paul's point in this part of his letter is that this is not going to happen apart from the grace of Jesus. But the grace of God is at work, drawing us into the presence of God and drawing us into each other's lives and drawing us into God's mission. The grace of God is at work, redeeming and healing and creating something. There was once nothing, now he's creating something. And that includes forming us into a community. When I was reading this passage this week and preparing this message, there was a a lyric from a Taylor Swift song that kept uh, going through my head, you know. And and it was from her song, Delicate, off her album, uh, Reputation. She's singing about a guy, surprise, surprise, and she says, my reputation has never been worse. And I don't know if it's accurate to say that the reputation of the church in America has never been worse, but it's not good. 
It's not good. I should say particular parts of the church, particularly the white evangelical church. And there are many things that we can name of how we got here, how we became a Taylor Swift song. There's many things that we could say, silence and complicity around racial injustice, the Church 2 movement revealing horrific instances of sexual abuse, the toxicity of some church cultures, spiritual abuse perpetuated by spiritual leaders, the cozying up to political leaders to try to get political power as if that's the way of Jesus. And side note, if you ever speak up about racial injustice, if you ever speak up about abuse and someone calls you divisive, you're not being divisive. You're being brave. And so maybe right now, particularly for you and and your story, maybe it feels hard to talk about the goodness of church, to talk about committing to a church community. Maybe parts of your story make that kind of a hard leap to make. And we absolutely have to be honest about the sin and brokenness in the church. We have to be honest about the shadow side because that's the only way the healing light of Jesus gets in. It's the only way an honest encounter with the healing power of grace because it was the liberating love of Jesus that brought us into the family of God and it will be the liberating love of Jesus that helps us live as the family of God and that requires truth and that requires honesty and that requires saying that's not okay. We want something else. Paul's point in this letter is that apart from the grace of God, none of this is happening. But the good news we're singing about tonight and the good news that we're talking about tonight is that the grace of Jesus is here, that the grace of God is on the move at work, that the grace of God is ours. I kept thinking this week, God cares about this more than we do. God is committed to his church. God is committed to people finding their place of belonging. God is committed to his love transforming us. God is committed to my jagged edges being soothed and smoothed by your compassion, and vice versa. God is committed to the healing work that happens when a group of people get together and stack hands and say, you're my people, I'm about this mission, I want to follow Jesus with you, let's go. A bunch of eyes, we are the church. The only hope I've got in this is that Jesus is with us. And Jesus is leading us healing us, redeeming our stories, forming us into his body, the church. I remember my old counselor saying once that we're all born, you know, arms open wide, like ready for connection, ready to be embraced, come on caregivers, meet me where I'm at, arms open wide. And of course, life happens. We live in a fallen, broken world, and we learn, all of us, in different ways, we learn to start closing up to survive, to start uh, some defensive measures. And so, especially as we get get into our 20s and older, we start to say, well, this isn't going to (laughs) work. And so we're on this journey learning what it means to open back up again. If community is where you are hurt, it's also community where you'll find healing. It's in the context of relationships where we'll learn what it means to, to open up to move towards others. Because it's Jesus who opened his arms wide to us. It's Jesus who opened his arms wide to embrace us. It's Jesus who opened his arms wide on the cross. 
for our healing and for our peace. To bring all these different individuals together, bringing down dividing walls, creating one new humanity, one new family of God. And we're going to come to this table in just a minute and be reminded all over again of the power of the grace of Jesus. I'm going to invite you just to a few moments of prayer before we do that. So I invite you um, in a minute to close your eyes if you're comfortable. Of course, you don't have to. We're going to do a palms down, palm up prayer. And so if you want, I'm going to invite you to put your palms down in a certain part of prayer, a sort of um, embodied way of release. And then another moment, I'll cue you up to turn your palms up and to receive, a sort of embodied way of receiving what God has uh, for you tonight. So I invite you to close your eyes as we pray together. Jesus, we are so glad and so grateful that you're here. That whatever we bring into this space, whatever level of energy, whatever level of um, commitment, whatever level of ability to uh, listen, that that's okay, that you meet us here. Invite you to put your palms down, a posture of release. God, we give you our longing for community, our desire to be seen and known. God, we give you our hesitancy to be seen and known. We find ourselves pulling back or pushing away. God, we give to you, we release to you our fears, our fear that maybe we only are going to be valued if we're helping. I fear that maybe we're only going to be valued if we're serving or cracking jokes or doing something. We release that fear to you. God, we give you our uncertainties. Hesitancy to take a step. The doubt uh, that we ever really could find our place. The questions of, will this be a good place, a safe place? The question, can I really be myself with these people? We trust all those things to you, Jesus. Now I invite you to turn your palms up. And just for a few moments in silence, just talk to God. Whatever you need to say, whatever you need from God right now to receive. Take a few moments to pray.